this is True Crime Exposed, and I'm your host, Kayla Waters. Each week on our show, you'll find a new deep dive into a case. And you can join my co-host, Alicia Jenkins, as we discuss the case together. We created this show to give victim stories exposure, to focus on the victims and make these cases about them. And by doing that, we can expose the monsters lurking all around us. Welcome back, everyone. So when I came across the case we're covering today, it was one I had never heard of. So I thought it would be a great case to cover. It's still a great case, but as I got into research, I realized that it's an infamous case from the early 2000s. I was just too young to remember it. What I wanted to mention here was that Scott Fowler is a reporter with the Charlotte Observer, and he was my main source. He did an incredible job of covering this case. He has covered this case from the get-go when it happened way back in 1999, and he has followed it to this day. He's been involved with it for decades, and he's been involved in multiple projects with this case. I will link those projects in our show notes so you can access them as well and see Scott Fowler's work. He also created an incredible podcast called Caruth, and I very much enjoyed listening to it. It was super well done. The production was amazing. And I just wanted to give give a shout out to Scott Fowler because his research on this case is better than any other research out there. So with that, are you ready for today's case? On November 16th, 1999, in the very early morning hours, Sandra Adams is awake cooking up some fried bologna. This was a little secret Sandra and her daughter Sharika Adams had together. It made them laugh that they both enjoyed this little meal because it sounds kind of gross. Oh, when you were little, you used to love bologna sandwiches. White bread, mayo, bologna. And I still do. I still do. Why does it sound gross? Well, I think they were like embarrassed that it's like fried bologna. They like cooked it up with onions and butter and Sharika just didn't want anybody to know that she enjoyed this meal. So it's just past midnight, but Sandra just couldn't sleep this night. She was tossing and turning and this is when she decides to make herself a midnight snack. In the middle of cooking up some onions to go with her bologna, the phone rings. And when she answers, it's the Carolinas Medical Center there in Charlotte, North Carolina here in the United States. She's immediately annoyed. Recently, she had broken her ankle, and since her insurance hadn't finished up paying for the treatment, the hospital had been calling and harassing her nonstop. So she's beside herself that they actually have the audacity to make a phone call to her about this situation in the middle of the night. But then they ask her if she has a daughter named Sharika Adams, and she's like, yeah, I do. This is when the person on the other end of the line tells Sandra that Sharika is there at the hospital because she's been shot. Her first reaction is that this did not happen. She says, don't play with me. She's on a date tonight at the movies. She's definitely not there in the hospital. 
But when they respond saying that they are taking her back right now to do an emergency C-section, the reality hits Sandra and she drops to her knees, crying out and praying to God for her daughter to survive. So she was pregnant? She is pregnant, if you caught that. She is going back for an emergency C-section. And she's 24 years old at this point and she's eight months pregnant. Did her mom know? Yeah. Yeah, her mom knew. So I think that's what like made the reality hit that it was her daughter in the hospital when they said we're taking her back for an emergency c-section so when sandra receives this phone call from the hospital she's petrified at the thought of not only losing her daughter but also her grandson so how did sharika go from being excited about a date to the movies with her baby daddy to laying on a hospital bed following a shooting Sandra is only gathering bits and pieces of what happened when she first arrives to the hospital. All she knows is that Sharika was driving back home after her date when a car pulled up beside her driver's side door on Ray Road. Right then, a passenger in the back seat pulled out a gun and opens fire. Sandra's thoughts are racing. Why Sharika? Who would do this? How was her daughter caught in the crosshairs of a drive-by shooting? For just a moment, she wondered if this could be a random act of violence. But this was much more complicated than that. Sharika's case would become one of the most infamous cases of the early 2000s. Sharika Luvenia Adams was born in June of 1974 in King Mountain, North Carolina. Sandra Adams had met Sharika's father, Jeff Gooney, when they were in high school. Both of them worked as bus drivers. She tells Scott Fowler of the Charlotte Observer that back then students could work as the bus drivers. <laughs> That's weird. Have you heard a student, like a young teenage student, could drive. Like the high schoolers. Could drive kids all around. <laughs> that would be so <laughs> scary. I was like, what? Like, because it, it was just like a passing by comment on this podcast I listened to about this case. And then, it, like, no one really said anything much more about it. But I was like, wait, you as a high schooler, you and your boyfriend as high schoolers were the bus drivers. So weird. I don't. <laughs> I can just only laugh because that would be putting all those little kids in such dangerous situations. No, like, it's obviously not a good idea. So I'm sure that's why this does not happen anymore. So Sandra had become pregnant in her teenage years. And so when she goes into labor, it's her dad that she's waiting on. He's a farmer there in North Carolina, and he's out in the field with his tractor when Sandra summons him to get this show on the road. It's time for a baby. But he's not about to let his tractor sit willy-nilly there in the middle of the field like he has to get it back to the home and into its rightful position. By the time they do get on the road, Sandra is literally holding her baby inside of her, forcing Sharika not to make her appearance yet. I don't think her dad quite grasps like the severity of the situation because... He's stopping at all of the red lights. He's not driving like a maniac. He's just cool, calm, and collected. But Sandra is not. The family had just purchased a brand new vehicle, and there was no way she was about to pop this baby out in the new car. By the time Sandra arrives at the hospital, she's rushed inside with no time to call a doctor. Sharika makes her way out the second that Sandra takes a breath and stops holding her in place. And Sharika was perfection, the cutest little round face and a head full of hair that the nurses formed into a little mohawk. 
For the first few years of her life, Sharika is taken care of by Sandra's parents. Remember, Sandra had her daughter at a young age, so she needed a little bit of extra help, and thankfully, her family was supportive and doted on the new babe. By third grade, Sandra has taken over full-time parental duties, and her bond with Sharika grew strong. Sharika was a girl's girl who loved wearing dresses almost every day, and she took pride in her appearance. She was a petite young woman with big brown eyes. And through high school, she was able to do a bit of modeling work. Was her dad still around? Did they stay together or he bounced? It sounds like they didn't stay together. Like, high school relationship, it ended. She did know him because you'll see, like, she meets her boyfriend later on. That's, like, the dad of her baby. And her dad is there at the hospital when she gets shot. But it sounds like he just wasn't like super active in taking care of her as she grew up and maybe it's because he was also young. Following high school, Sharika attended the local Winston-Salem State University in North Carolina. It's here that she meets Sonia Melton. They were both freshmen at the university in the fall of 1993 and Sonia will never forget Sharika's warm personality that welcomed you right in. The very first time they met, they were sitting at a Wendy's in a group of mutual friends, and Sharika looks to Sonia and says, wow, you are so beautiful. As a college girl, a compliment like this does not come around often from another college girl who is a complete stranger, so she felt Sharika's kind heart like right from the jump. Sonia says that Sharika knew her worth, and she always went for what she wanted. She was determined. It's a word most people who knew her would use to describe her. She soon decided that college life didn't suit her, so she drops out and pursues a career path in real estate by 1995. While working in this field, she met a woman who she would become close with regardless of their 20-year age difference. This was Valerie Brooks, who described Sharika as beautiful, but she didn't know it. She could see that Sharika had the grit for real estate and her magnetic personality drew clients right to her. Sharika was passionate about her work and dreamt of one day owning a home of her own where she could raise a family. So to reach this goal, Sharika wants to take up some extra work on the side. She needs money to save up for a down payment on her own condo. Now on top of real estate, she has decided to work as an exotic dancer. Sandra tells Scott Fowler that when she first learned about Sharika being involved in this line of work, she was mortified. It was not easy for her to know that her daughter was dancing nude in front of strangers, like this is her baby. However, Sandra never judged her daughter and she only wanted what was best for her. Back then, she described the stigma around dancing and how it was often looked at in connection to prostitution or the drug world. But Sharika assured her that it wasn't like that. While some women did dance to sustain their drug habit, Sharika tells her mom that she 100% just wants to save money for a condo. She even lays out a plan. She even lays out a plan showing Sandra how much money she needs and how long it will take to get to her goal. And when Sandra sees firsthand just how much money Sharika is depositing into her bank account, she definitely comes around. She would joke with Sharika asking if the dancers need a mom figure who can come hype them up and encourage them before they go onto the stage. Because she's like, wait, how do I get in on this without like the dancing part? Like I'd like to bring home some money. Oh my gosh. So, as time went on, Sandra grew less worried about her daughter working at the strip club. Sharika always proved that her heart was one of gold. Another dancer was a young woman who was stripping to support her drug habit. 
This girl also had a young son, and Sharika was worried about him and her friend. So she comes up with this plan. She will bring them home to her house where she lives with her mom. She asked them to actually live there for some time so that her mom, Sandra, could look after the little boy and watch out for him. Sandra says that Sharika changed this girl's life. She was her inspiration. She got clean and raised a healthy son, and she says that she owes that to Sharika and the kind hand that she extended. So basically, Sharika is just an incredible person who had a lot of love to give. She was going to be the best mom, but she had that opportunity taken away from her in the blink of an eye. It was just shortly before she started working on the side as a dancer that Sharika met a man who made her really excited. She was invited to this pool party where a bunch of NFL players were going to be. And that was sort of exciting in and of itself, but she connects to one of them immediately. This was Ray Carruth. He played for the North Carolina Panthers professional football team as a wide receiver. He was young and confident, and it didn't hurt that he had a lot of money for his young age. Now, I'm not saying that Sharika was like into him for his money. She actually seems to truly care for him. I'm just saying, doesn't hurt if the person you're into has money, I would think. It'd be a positive. So while the connection between these two started out with a bang, it soon fizzled out. That first day following the pool party, Sharika took Ray to her dad's house and introduced him to her dad. But the more they see each other, it seems the less time Ray has for Sharika, so whatever relationship they had comes to an end and they fall out of touch. It's only when she starts spending a lot of time down in Atlanta that Ray comes back around. Now that she's a little too busy for him, his interest peaks. He even buys her a cell phone, which remember this is 1998, so it's like a big gift. I guess most people don't have cell phones at the time, but she tells a friend that Ray wants to be able to get in touch with her when she's out of town. Did a lot of people have cell phones or? I think so. I I mean, I don't know. I can't remember. But why was she in Atlanta? I don't know, actually. Her friend was just saying that, like, she was traveling down there a lot. I don't think she was living down there, but maybe traveling down for work. And who knows? Maybe more people had cell phones than than they made it seem. But her friend said that not a ton of people had cell phones in their group. So she was like, oh, that's so nice. He's buying this cell phone for you. Ultimately, though, the duo does not stay in close contact until November of 1998 when Ray heads to one of his teammates' birthday parties. It's here that he reconnects with Sharika, but it's not a happy reunion. This birthday party was actually held at the strip club that Sharika was now working at, and when he sees her dancing on stage, he's pissed. Which is kind of hypocritical because it's like, really, dude? You were going there to watch nude dancers, but now you're mad. Like, you were going there. Like, you're there. Exactly. Anyway, from this day forward, the two of them start hanging out more and more. And by April of 1999, Sharika finds out that she is pregnant. So this is the baby that she is pregnant with when she is shot just seven months later. Once Sharika noticed those first few signs of pregnancy, she quickly took a pregnancy test and then another until she took a total of 10 tests and has it confirmed at the doctor's office with Ray by her side. She was glowing when she takes her mom out to breakfast for Mother's Day a month later in May of 1999. She tells her mom that she's giving her the best gift and that's the gift of becoming a grandma. 
They're sitting at the original pancake house as this conversation goes down, and Sandra is shocked. Like, you're joking, right? But Sharika was not joking, and Sandra was so happy to see her baby's eyes light up when she's thinking about a future with her own baby. Once Sharika finds out that her baby is a boy, she puts a lot of thought into his name. Her grandma had loved some soap opera with a character named Chancellor, so that's what she goes with, and the preparations for baby ensued. Sharika and her loved ones eagerly awaited Chancellor's arrival. No one could have prepared for the gruesome tragedy that was about to yank the celebrations away from them. So we know that on the night of her death, Sharika had gone out to the movies with her baby daddy slash boyfriend, Ray Carruth. They were going to see a movie at the Regal Cinema in South Charlotte, and the movie is called The Bone Collector, which I guess is a movie featuring Angelina Jolie, and it's about a serial killer, so this seems like my kind of movie. I haven't watched it yet, but now I'm definitely going to. Have you seen it? I haven't. I don't like those kind of movies. <laughs> That's kind of ironic, because you love true, like, true crime, like you love Dateline. But you don't like those movies. I like listening and stuff, but I don't like watching and like having that anxiety and being scared. That's true. I'm like not a scared human in life like you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like so weird, actually, because you don't like watching it because you don't like being scared about it. But she's not scared of anything like she's not doesn't worry day to day about being killed doesn't worry about anyone getting into her house like and I am like highly anxiety but I still like all these movies and stuff yeah no I don't uh but Sharika wasn't excited because it was featuring one of my favorite actresses Angelina Jolie she's excited because it was a chance for her and Ray to go out on a real date like a one-on-one -on -one date before baby Chancellor comes you see, they hadn't really been getting along all that well through her pregnancy. I mean, it's a stressful time, right? Like preparations for a new baby, your hormones are all over the place. Pregnancy is just hard. So when Ray asks her out on this date, she is like, heck yes, I'm getting dressed up. I'm going all out. Sharika saw her mom every single day, except on November 15th, 1999, because she was so busy getting ready and finding that perfect outfit. Once she was ready, she made the drive over to Ray's house, and then the two of them drove to the movies together. Afterwards, they return to his house, and they want to spend the night together. But Ray is like, well, I have a doctor's appointment in the morning, and the office is down closer to your house. Should we just head over there so that it's a little easier when the morning rolls around? I can just hop up right before my appointment. And this sounds like a great idea to Sharika. So she hops into her black BMW while Ray drives his own white Ford Expedition so that he can take it to that doctor's appointment. Sharika is actually following behind him when they turn onto Ray Road, the same road where she is shot just moments later. The couple had gone to a late night movie after 9 p.m. So by the time they're driving back to Sharika's place, it's past midnight. So it's dark outside, and when Sharika sees Ray's brake signals light up, she's a little confused because there is not a stoplight or a stop sign. He's stopping right in the middle of the road. This is weird. And it's right then that she's ambushed by the men in the Nissan Maxima. Before she even knows what's going on, she is shot at five times with a Charter Arms 38 Special with a chamber that holds five bullets. Four of those bullets would hit her. So how do they know that she thought it was weird that he was breaking? 
because she lives and writes this down. When the first bullet pierces her hip, she understands the severity of what's being done to her. But before she can react, a second bullet enters through her left side just below her rib cage. The third bullet tells us somewhat of a story. Scott Fowler reports that it indicates Sharika was leaning away from the gunfire by the time the third bullet enters through her upper back and exits at a higher point than it entered, coming out of her body near her shoulder blade. The last bullet just grazes her left shoulder, but it lodges into her neck. As soon as the gunshots stop, the assailants speed off. But Sharika expects her boyfriend, who is stopped directly in front of her, to get out and help her and their child. But she's filled with a deep feeling of betrayal as she watches Ray Carruth drive away, disappearing from her sight. Oh my gosh. So he paid someone to do it. Yeah. Can you imagine that feeling, like in the moment, realizing, like I was just on a date with this a-hole and he's having me shot? Hate him. So why would her boyfriend set her up to be gunned down after an enjoyable date night together? Well, she knows why, and she's not about to let him get away with it, because she's still alive and she's going to fight for her life. Sharika dials 911, and the harrowing 12-minute phone call is recorded. 911, stop shot. You been shot? Where are you at, mate? I'm eight months pregnant. Where's he at? I'm in the car. 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 Ray Theotis Carruth was born to parents Theodrie Carruth and Charles Wiggins in 1974. His dad wasn't around much, so he takes on the last name of his stepdad. He grew up across the country from North Carolina, where he ends up. He was raised in the Oak Park section of the south side of Sacramento, California. He attended Valley High School, where he quickly became a star football player, and David Hopkins was his head coach for three seasons, and he only recalled meeting Ray's dad one time, so his dad wasn't super involved, obviously, because he takes on the name of his stepdad. Ray worked hard to perfect the sport, and although he didn't love school, his mom, Theodrie, pushed him to do his best. She would make him come to work with her at Costco sometimes, and she would tell him that if he didn't make sure his grades stayed in line, then he would be working here for the rest of his life. Which, I mean, like, Costco doesn't sound like the worst place. Like, don't they treat their employees really good and, like, pay a lot? Like, no diss on Costco employees. Yeah, but how smart of that, how, how smart is that of his mom to be like, look, this is what you can work for all your life, or... You can go to school and shoot for something higher. You know, a high schooler isn't loving going and working there. So she's trying to let him know, like, you can go on to play football, but you've got to get good grades. He is a little guy for the NFL, but I guess he was super fast. At 5 foot 11 inches and 194 pounds, he was able to zip down the field quickly. Little guy? That actually sounds kind of big to me. (laughs) That's why I said for the NFL. <laughs> like, I think the NFL players must average be bigger than that. But in jet, I mean, I think that's close to Jacob. Like, he's like 5'11 and a half, and he's super tall compared to our whole family. So, big to us, small to the NFL. So, in 1992, after high school, he received a full ride scholarship to the University of Colorado in Boulder, Colorado. 
and his coaches thought he was talented, and it helped that he was not a troublemaker. He didn't do drugs, he didn't drink alcohol, he just focused on football. Do you know Boulder is where your brother goes to college, right? I almost said, like, we have a sibling that goes there, but I didn't know which one, because we have, like, well, I guess there's not multiple in Colorado, but there's multiple that have gone to college in Colorado. So that's where Joshua is. Yeah, so I have a brother that goes to this school too. Uh, Well, not when Ray went there, but right now, because he's younger than me. (laughs) So Ray is just like focusing on football. He actually does really well in his grades here. He gets like an academic award while he's here. So, you know, that work his mom put in paid off. And he becomes an all-conference wide receiver while at U of C. When he's interviewed by a reporter during this time in his life, he says, quote, no matter what I do, I've decided that I want to be famous. And I guess Ray has gotten his wish, sort of. He's infamous for all the wrong reasons. As his time in Colorado is coming to an end, Ray is being looked at by the NFL. In 1997, he ends up as the 27th pick as a first round draft pick. The Panthers offered him a spot as their starting wide receiver. Ray signs a three-year, $3.7 million contract that included a $1.3 million signing bonus. So all of a sudden, he is rich, rich. But just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you won't have money problems. Which, pause for a second, because this is like what blows my mind when people who have like made it in their dream, like they're where they should be, ruin their lives. So that's what inspired me. The Super Bowl was just on last week. So I was like, I'm going to look into NFL players that committed crimes because we have like Aaron Hernandez. And then just getting into this, I'm like, why? Why? They just become douches. I don't know. (laughs) You know, you've heard a lot about the concussion stuff as well, but... I also don't think Ray was hit a lot. They mentioned that like as a wide receiver, they avoid contact a lot and he didn't like to be like tackled and stuff. Yeah. Also, when you were saying like he got three million or something, I mean, it's it's quite a bit, but it's not a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Like that would only last so long. Well, it's three million, three point seven million over four years. So he is getting paid seventy-seven thousand a month, which, like, to the average Joe, like, if I got seventy-seven thousand a month, <laughs> I'd be pretty feeling good. I guess yes, that is quite a bit. But I was just thinking, like, you know, buying a house or something. Well, I guess back then it'd be a lot cheaper, but now, like, I mean, at least where we live, an average house is like a million. Yeah, so if you're living like a millionaire and then that money doesn't continue after the four years, then it would run out. Like you're saying it could run out easy, which it could, and it did. It was running out. (laughs) So like I said, like just because you're super rich doesn't mean you have no money problems because Ray is living outside of his means. He immediately purchases a home for $240,000, which is actually sounds pretty cheap. I don't know how that's comparable to now, 1999 to now. I think when your dad and I got married, which was in 96, we bought our first house for like 117000 So it wasn't like a ton more, but... 240000 He's buying like a nice home, but not like nothing crazy. Okay. 
So then he's also he also buys two cars. They, he buys that white Ford Expedition and a red Mercedes. And he even loses a good chunk of money in an investment scheme. So that's where he really loses out by trying to invest this money and he loses it. Now, all of this probably would have been easily manageable, but the problem was that Ray is hurt the very next year. And by the time he's played two seasons for the team, he's showing just how defiant he can be. Now, this lifestyle may be compromised as his position on the team doesn't seem solid by 1999. So at the beginning of, season, of his season in 1998, he had hurt his foot. He had broken his foot. And then by 1999, the Panthers had hired a new head coach, George Seifert. And George wants to do something a little different with Ray. He wants to take him from being a wide receiver to playing the position of a punt returner. You know, he's really fast. So this coach wants him to like get the punt and get it down the field quickly. But Ray is like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> And George is obviously frustrated and is like, you're not in charge. You are doing it. He even puts Ray on the field as a punt returner, but he flat out refused to play the position. It was glaringly obvious that he was trying to not catch the ball. He didn't want to do that position, so he wasn't going to do well in that position. Probably in his mind to get back to being a wide receiver, but instead it's just kind of bothering everybody. And then... He's not so hot on the team. He did that during like real games? I'm not sure if it was during real games, but they just say it showed how far he would go to not do something he did not want to do. Which it's like, I mean, there's a line. Stand up for the things you don't want to do, but like sometimes you got to make sacrifices and be a part of a team. Like when that's your job and you're getting paid, depending on it, you do it they say tell you to do so Steve Carolina was the quarterback for the Panthers at this time and he remembers Ray being complicated like while he never got into trouble and he stayed pretty quiet he also wasn't outgoing he explains him by saying he wasn't anything he was just there even Scott Fowler remembers Ray from before the murder. I've mentioned Scott multiple times through this episode because Scott was a Panthers reporter who then follows this case closely for decades. So since he was already reporting on the Panthers before the murder of Sharika Adams, he had interviewed Ray before. Scott remembers him being, quote, eloquent but guarded. Well, it seems so odd because it sounds like he's a smart guy. Like you said, in college, he was academic. And so what what happened? He sounds like he could be intelligent. Yeah. Well, again, it's like he has like this great life. You did well in school. You've like made your dream. So, yeah, what did happen? But I think it comes down to money. And he's also, in my opinion, so entitled. I've always said that's, I think, like the worst quality someone can have to me. I hate entitlement. Like, I hate it. So he really bothers me personally, but I'm, I guess we'll see how all of you feel about him. You know, he's just there. Ray isn't like making a big impression, impression on you, whether it's good or bad. He's just neutral. He basically has like a monotone personality. And one odd interview that Scott had with Ray was about jersey numbers. Ray was a rookie and was searching for the perfect jersey number. So Scott is like, no worries, man. Most players get used to the number they're assigned when they come onto the team. 
but Ray was not getting used to his number. He says that he needed to have a one on his jersey because if it doesn't have a one in the number, he thinks it just makes him look fat. Fat? (laughs) Oh, I got to look up a picture of him now. It was such an odd comment. Like, if you don't have a one on your jersey number, you look fat. Just odd. Ultimately, within a couple of years, he changes his jersey number three times before settling on number 89. Now, I thought he was adamant about having the number one on his jersey, but he's okay with this number since it had never been associated with any other panther. So he claims he's going to make this number famous, but Ray doesn't gain fame through football. People don't purchase a Panthers jersey number 89 with the name Carruth printed on the back because Ray messed up the dream he was living, although he will never admit that he's responsible for his own downfall. Five years before Sharika's murder, Michelle Wright gave birth to a son that she shared with Ray. The two had been high school sweethearts, but regardless of his son coming into the world, Ray was still going to pursue football, which would be fine if he was a good guy that still wanted to do what he could to take care of his child, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Once Ray becomes a literal millionaire after signing with the Panthers, Michelle fights for her son's right to be taken care of by his father, and she's awarded over $3,000 a month in child support. Now keep in mind, like I said, Ray's $3.7 million contract over four years pays him about $77,000 a month. So it's kind of like, okay, Ray, manage your money, and $3,000 is going to feel like nothing compared to that $77,000. But because Ray was having his own worries about money, it felt like a big deal to him. He was pissed off that Michelle took him to court and demanded child support. So when he gets Amber Turner pregnant in 1997, he reacts in a pretty scary way. Amber would later testify at his trial that that he told her if she did not have an abortion, he would do something about it. She recalls his words to her. Don't make me send somebody out there to kill you. Amber was so distraught by Ray's reaction that she chose to terminate the pregnancy. So with that information, I'm sure you can imagine how Ray reacted when Sharika told him that she was pregnant. She was so disappointed with his response. Ray pressured Sharika to have an abortion, but she did not cave. Sandra said that she believed Sharika had already had an abortion before in her life, and she decided she never wanted to do that again. She wouldn't be pressured into this. It's not something she was going to go through with. Now, Sharika mostly tried to downplay how Ray was treating her, but she told a friend that she wasn't sure why she even expected Ray to be happy about the pregnancy. She also said that Ray was just a wannabe bad boy, and she didn't understand his quest down this path. She also admitted to friends that Ray had a pretty bad temper. However, when he would show her that little sliver of kindness, she would fall back into the trap. She wanted so badly for him to be the man she thought she knew. Police would later find writings about their relationship that Sharika wrote in her journal. She helped tell her own story, which was a great thing to provide insight into their relationship because Ray wants to fudge the facts a little and basically disrespect Sharika even in death. In a 15-page letter that Ray will later write to Sandra Adams, he says, quote, 
Never was Sharika under the illusion or delusion that I was ever going to propose marriage to her. Lust was the tie that bound us, not like or love. We randomly hooked up a handful of times and never made it about anything more than that. Not like or love? Like, maybe not love, but not like? Like, you didn't like her? Obviously. Like, why don't more people like this go get vasectomies? Like, quit impregnating people that you don't want to take care of. This obviously keeps happening to you. It's obviously a huge deal. Stop having sex or go do something about it. Like, stop getting people pregnant. So, Sandra, she was close with her daughter while Ray and Sharika were dating, so I'm not even sure why he wrote that to her because she knows that Sharika didn't see it this way. She was having his child. She was serious about him. She hoped he would come around to the idea of a family. So first responders arrive at the scene following Sharika's desperate call for help. She's rushed to the Carolinas Medical Center where a trauma team is ready to take her right in. The bullets had damaged her lungs, her stomach, her pancreas, and other organs. She lost a lot of blood at the scene. One of the first priorities is to take her back for her emergency C-section to try and save baby Chancellor. On November 16, 1999, he's born at 1.32 a.m., just a little more than an hour after his mom was gunned down. Chancellor is 10 weeks premature and weighs only 3 pounds and 11 ounces. As soon as he is born, he is rushed to the neonatal intensive care unit because he is in respiratory distress. So you're going to understand this next part more than me and probably more than most of us since you work in the NICU. His doctor is Doja Hickey, and she's a neonatologist that takes care of little Chancellor, and she is the family's fave doctor. And Shannon, my stepdad is a neonatologist, and like I just mentioned, and you guys already know, my mom, Alicia Jenkins right here, is a nurse practitioner in the NICU. So this is like what they do. So help me explain this because I'm just kind of going off what this Doja Hickey lady said, but I don't understand it all. So it sounds like Sharika's blood pressure was super low. So this makes her hypertensive. And then because of this, the baby can't get oxygen. So yeah, probably hypotensive. So a low blood pressure. And then she's probably losing out a lot of blood from the gunshot wounds. And then so that just leads to the baby not getting enough blood flow through the placenta and decrease oxygen. They're given their oxygen through the umbilical cord from the placenta, which is taking from the mom. So due to this lack of oxygen, organs will start to be damaged, including the brain. And then once the brain is damaged, Doja explains that it's not an organ that can be regenerated. So Chancellor is born with permanent brain damage. Doja had suspected he would have cerebral palsy, but I guess this isn't something you can confirm until they grow older. Like, yeah, as they start like developing, because it has a lot to do with like movement and like spasticity. So, yeah, you kind of, you don't, you don't really see it in the newborn period. Um, but we do have new treatment now. If you're older, you have to be older than 35 weeks. So this little baby wouldn't have qualified, but we cool them to minimize the brain damage. So you keep their bodies cool for three days and it, you know, kind of slows down the process of, um, the brain cells like dying and then they them getting reperfused and causing damage so that's helped a lot that's like super cool it's weird like what can be done 
like even the fact that babies can be born at like 24 weeks and like survive. He um, he does end up having the cerebral palsy as he grows up. It's confirmed. Yeah, and we've had like here, like in our career, we've seen gunshots that have had babies, and it's caused like brain damage and even death. That's sad. You don't really know like why they got shot. We're just taking care of the baby and trying to get the baby to survive. But I do remember with one specific case in Salt Lake City, like the mom did get shot and she died. I could never do that job with the little babies. So Chancellor has lived with brain damage and cerebral palsy for his entire life. Doctors didn't think he would ever even learn to walk or talk, but he's exceeded their expectations. Eventually, he is able to walk using a walker, and he can talk, although he only speaks about one word at a time. Sandra had been anxious waiting there at the hospital for news on her daughter and grandson. She was relieved to know that Chancellor had survived, but she's heartbroken to learn about the damage that was done to him when his own father tried to have him killed. Remember, the motive for this crime was to end the pregnancy so that Ray wouldn't have to pay child support for a second child. But that plan didn't succeed. Chancellor fought for his life and he survived. Which, like, we've also covered this before where the number one cause of death for pregnant women is homicide. Which is, like, a horrifying statistic and sad that that's what you're most likely to die from. Because, usually a partner is upset that they're pregnant. So this is kind of obviously fits into that statistic. So Chancer's mom, Sharika, she had tried to also fight for her life. Doctors on that first night tell Sandra that they're not able to reach all of the bullets embedded in her. And due to her extensive organ damage, they're going to leave her open because they're not sure what emergency inside of her body they're going to have to try and tackle that night. By the following morning, Sharika had woken up. She was able to communicate by writing on a paper pad. The very first thing she wrote was chapstick, and that gave her mom a bit of relief because she realized that Sharika was in her right frame of mind. Even though she couldn't communicate well or talk, Sandra says that Sharika could not stand her lips being chapped. Like, she hated it, and I get it. It's the worst feeling. So some relief washed over Sandra when Sharika asked for the chapstick right away. That was her girl. An investigative team was at the hospital that morning by 8 a.m. The team is put together by Tom Anthony, who ran the homicide unit with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. They asked Sharika if she thinks Ray was involved. They had already listened to the 911 phone call where she gives Ray Carruth's name. She writes on her notepad a question mark. Eventually, she writes down that he was driving in front of her when he stopped in the road. A car came beside her and then Ray drove off and never came back. I mean, I thought he was smart, but why you're her, her mom knows that she went on this date with him. And then, like, I guess he just stopped and drove off because he thought she was going to die right then. I think in his mind, he was going to say he was never there driving with her on her way home. They met up at his house for the movies. They go to the movies. They return to his house. She gets in her car and she goes home. So I think in his mind, he's like driving away and going home. I was never there. But she lives. She watched you drive away and you and your idiot friends couldn't kill her. So now she could let everybody know you were there. And like through trial, people do 
like, of course, he's an NFL player. So a lot of people will believe him and say, oh, he was never there. He wasn't even there. But he even admits now, today, he was there. But he, dro- but he drove off because he was scared. So at first, it's like, oh, I was never there. But now it's, oh, I was there, but, like, I was just too scared. Well, then you drive away and you call police. But that didn't happen. She's also able to write a few other notes indicating that she believed her boyfriend set her up to be shot. She writes that as they were leaving the movie theater, she heard him tell someone on the phone, we're leaving now. But soon after all, she's, you know, writing these notes with the investigators, she's given medication and she falls back into a deep sleep. Have you heard of ECMO? Is it like something that is used today or no? Yes, it's like lung heart bypass. So they bypass the blood flowing through your heart and a machine does it. So it exchanges all the oxygen and everything, how the heart works. So it gives the heart a rest. And they use it in ambulance today? Yeah. Okay. So I guess at this time, um, it was like a new procedure that they were experimenting with. And so doctors had told Sandra it had been done on children, but it hadn't been done on an adult yet. So they're going to try this on Sharika. They're just wanting to do whatever they can um, because her organs are shutting down. And I guess her heart and her lungs were like having a hard time. So doctors want to put her in a medically induced coma and then use this machine to bypass her lungs and heart. Sandra says by the morning after they do this for Sharika, she starts retaining a lot of fluids. Is there a reason why or like did it just not work? Uh, most of the time when you start retaining fluids, like your kidneys aren't working so that that you don't pee it out. So this fluid retention gets so bad that Sharika weighs 282 pounds by mid-December, just one month after she shot. And she was like a petite woman. So her mom said unrecognizable, like just completely swollen. On December 14th, 1999, Sharika had been unconscious for 27 days in a row. She was no longer recognizable, and she was only being kept alive by machines. It was a quick and peaceful decision for Sandra to say yes to pulling the plug on Sharika's life support. She says that her daughter was not living. She was only existing in that state. So the family requests for Chancellor to come into the room and to be laid on his mom before she passed. This was only the second time that Chancellor ever got to be in the presence of Sharika. She never got to see her baby while she was conscious, but Sandra says that she knows her daughter felt his presence. When the baby was laid onto her chest, she said that the monitors go crazy, especially the heart monitor. Sandra said that she watched one tear roll down Sharika's cheek and that she will never forget that tear. It was the worst possible outcome. Sharika Adams passed away that December 14th day at 12.43 p.m. She was surrounded by friends and family that adored her. This loss was huge. Chancellor was just days away from being four weeks old when his mom dies. And Doja Hickey, his doctor, says that although he had never had an apneic spell where you stop breathing and your heart rate drops, he had one that night. And it was the only night he had one. So she can't explain it, but she feels like it had something to do with his mom's passing. Premature babies' brains sometimes forget to have them breathe, and it's really common. So, I figured it was like common, and 
but she just said there was something about it only happening that night that just got her, the doctor. Once Sharika passes, Sandra's mind flashes back to that first night at the hospital and the overwhelming feeling of suspicion that she had about Ray when he arrived at the hospital, although she was not suspect of him right away. You see, when Sandra rushes to the hospital and learns that both Sharika and Chancellor are in surgery and fighting for their lives, she thinks, okay, I need to get a hold of Ray because he has no idea what's going on. Somehow Sharika was shot on her way home from their date. Like he has to be informed that his girlfriend and child are here in the hospital. So Sandra starts calling him over and over, but he isn't answering the phone. We know why. But finally, he does end up showing up at the hospital. But Sandra is beside herself when she sees him walk in with another woman. And this is no friend because while he's in the waiting room, this woman sits on a chair while Ray sits in between her legs and she is massaging him because he's just so tense. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Uh, why? Uh, I don't even have the words to say anything. Why did he even show up? I do not understand. But like when you already have been an a-hole and have not wanted this pregnancy and like you will look suspicious just even as the boyfriend. Why? Why would you come to the hospital with another girl and you are letting her massage you in front of this lady's mom? Like I would kill him if it was my kid. Yes, I would kill. I just tell him to leave the audacity of this man again entitlement like i cannot what is happening so sandra she's like us she sees red and she rushes up to him after observing this scene and she's like absolutely not this is unreal you know what happened to my daughter and you did this to her we're gonna end right here for part one because we're about an hour in um and we have a lot more to get to so I'm going to release episode, the second part soon, just in a few days on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kayla Waters. Our co-host is Alicia Jenkins. Our palette cleanser is given by Charlie Waters and all our music was created by Jaden Schultz at In Pajamas Music. Find us on social media and leave us a five-star written review if you love the podcast. Hi, I'm Charlie Waters and today we're going to be giving a palette cleanser about Nutella. I love Nutella. I call it the chocolate sauce. We like to put it on bananas. Did you know a jar of Nutella is sold every two and a half seconds? One, two, sold. One, two, sold. That's how fast they sell. People must love Nutella a lot. Bye. Have a great day. If you visit cpedv.org, you're going to find California's partnership to end domestic violence. They've put together a useful tool for finding domestic violence organizations in your community, and they list certain hotline numbers and websites connected to these organizations. They suggest if you're outside of California to call the National Domestic Violence Hotline to get resources in your state. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. 1-800-799-7233.